Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours, or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. Well, welcome back. So glad you guys are here. It is our final week of this series called Let's Neighbor. Now, this series has turned into a really great series. I have really, really enjoyed digging in all of this. And I have especially loved hearing the stories, the stories from you guys about what's been going on and how God has been using this to, to challenge you. In fact, um, somebody shared with me that they decided to have a Christmas party, right? They invited 14 neighbors, some of whom they had never even met before, right? And they invited them all over to their house to have a Christmas party. And from that, they have some neighbors that are here today, right? I'm so excited about that. Yeah, so awesome. I had, we had another story from a lady who said, hey, I was talking to my neighbor who's lived next to me for several years. She said, we've, we've talked to each other. We're pretty good friends. And she said, in the course of talking, we began to have a conversation about what a good neighbor is. And she said, I just couldn't help but share some of the things that we've been learning inside of here. And she said, it just started coming out. She said, before long, I invited her to come to church. She said, I had never invited her to come with me before to be here at church. And I love what she said next, because she looked at me and she said, if you know me, you would know that's just not who I am, right? She said, but God just opened up such a huge door that I couldn't help but walk through it. I love that. It's such a great testament about what God is doing. And God is doing some amazing things here at the church at Australia and in Australia. Listen, he is changing lives and he's doing it because you guys are being great neighbors and inviting your friends, inviting family, and inviting those who are near you to come and experience and see what God is doing. And I have an amazing promise for you that when you do that, you see change happen and see God at work. He does some amazing things, and I'm so excited about the things that he's doing. Well, today we are going to finish up this series, all right? I promise to do that because we're going to start Christmas next week, so I have to finish everything off today, all right? Now, I've already just braced yourself. It may go 60 or 70 minutes so we can get done today, all right? But we are going to finish today, but I want you to also know this. We are not finished with what we've been talking about. This just because we stop looking at this passage in Luke chapter 10 about the greatest commandment and how to love our neighbor and who our neighbor is does not mean that we are done doing this. In fact, James, I love what he says. He says, he says that there are, there are those who hear and don't do. And he says those who do that are like the man who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. And so he has to go back and see it again, over and over and over again. Listen, Jesus says, don't do that. He says, take the teaching that I, I've given to you and begin to apply it and do it in your life. And so we want to be faithful to that. Well, it, it's true that over the last several weeks, we have been looking at what is called the goat of commandments, the greatest of all time, right? And Jesus said it was to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, 
We've been looking at the story of the Good Samaritan over the last several weeks alongside of that, which is found in Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there because we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And last week, we pushed all the way to the end of chapter 10. We finished up with the story that was there. And this week, we're going to tie one more section together that's in Luke chapter 11 back to this whole idea of what it means to love our neighbors. Now, really, you guys don't all know this, but I kind of view our series as like one really big, long sermon, all right? So it kind of all ties together for me. Um, I heard a, a, a preacher long ago that he was like, hey, I just take and write one long sermon that if I preach it all at one time, it would be like six hours, and I chop it all up to give it back in bite-sized pieces of stuff. And that's kind of what we've been doing with this series. So those of you that are with us for the very first time, I'm going to catch you up just a little bit on where we've been, all right? If you've been here, I'm going to remind you about where it is that we've been at so that we don't forget about what, because I've slept since then, so I've forgotten a lot of things since just yesterday. Um, but I'm just going to remind us a little bit about where we've been. So the story of the Good Samaritan right a lawyer comes and finds jesus and says jesus i want to know um, the greatest commandment of all time and jesus says it's love the lord your god and to love your neighbor as yourself and so the guy not to be outdone and trying to justify himself that's what the word says it says he was trying to justify himself he says well then who is my neighbor and to answer that question jesus instead of giving the who gave a how and Jesus began to tell the story, the story of a man, a certain man who was walking down from Jerusalem towards Jericho. And on the way, he was beaten and robbed and left for dead. And now by chance, which is one of my favorite words in this whole, pair, in this whole story, now by chance, a priest comes walking by, right? He's like me, right? Only in first century Jewish culture. And he comes walking by, he sees the man, and continues on his way. And then a Levite, that's like you guys, right? He is somebody who goes to church. In fact, his entire tribe was set apart for worshiping God. They were the ones who went into the temple, did all the jobs at the church. That's who the Levites were. So he comes by again, likewise, the same way. So it's kind of like a now by chance again. And he sees the man, and he continues to walk on by. And then comes a Samaritan. And this is that person who would never darken the door of any church because they would feel like they're not welcome anywhere. And he sees the man, and he takes compassion on him, and he begins to help him. And he takes him to the inn, and he provides care for him. And Jesus turns afterwards back to the lawyer, and he says, now that I've given you this whole story, he said, in this story, who? Who was the neighbor? The story's all about how to neighbor, but Jesus turns and asks the guy about who it was. And the obvious answer was, it was the good Samaritan. Now, we saw that with that, Jesus gave us some principles about what it means to, to love our neighbor. In fact, we've been using an acrostic L-O. If you've caught on, there's probably going to be V and E coming up today. But we started with L, and we said that the very first thing was that we need to learn to lean in. We need to learn to lean in. I've already told you some of my favorite, favorite words of the entire story are now by chance. Now by chance, this person came by. 
It reminds me of an old preacher story um, that there was a, a man who was at his house. And as he was at his house, the warning came out that the, the flood waters were rising. And as the flood began to approach his house, a man came by, a young man on a jet ski who was just barely able to get next to the house and said, hey, do you, do you want to get out of here? And the man said, no, no. He said, I have incredible faith in who my God is, and my God will save me from this flood. And so the man on the jet ski, the young man, continued on his way and went off to help anybody else. And the, the man again began to pray. He said, God, I, I just want to pray that you would save me from this flood. And the floodwaters continued to rise. And so before long, the man had to um, leave from the bottom floor of his house because it was now filling up with water. And he went up to the second story and I looked out the window and there was a guy on a boat coming towards his house. And the guy on the boat hollers out to him. He says, hey, do you need help? Do you, do you need a ride? Do you need something to take you to safety? And the man said, no, no. My God is huge, and I have faith that he's going to save me from this flood. So the man on the boat continues on his way. Well, the floodwaters continue to rise. The man has to climb out the window and up onto the roof. <clears throat> and as he's there, a helicopter comes. And it drops down the ladder and the basket in order to save the man. And the man says, no, I'm okay. My God is going to save me from this flood. And the man drowned. When the man got to heaven, he, he looked at Jesus. He said, Jesus, I don't understand that. I just not have enough faith. And Jesus said, son, I, I, I sent you three chances. I sent you a jet ski, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. What more did you need? He had all kinds of chances right now by chance. You know, I, I think that the first thing that we learn from this story is that we have lots of chances that God sends our way to be able to lean in. Sometimes we miss them like the priest and the Levite did. And other times we get it right, like the Samaritan did. Second thing that we saw when it comes to L-O-V being our neighbors is we said that it was, oh, you had to operate with others in mind. We had to operate with others in mind. Now Luke helped us to connect these dots. We might not see that immediately as we read the story, but the very next story, the very next story after Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan has Jesus walking into what we know are some of his best friend's house, Mary and Martha. And Martha begins to do everything she can to serve Jesus. She's cleaning the house. She's baking the food. She's doing everything in her power of her own accord to serve him in a great way to let him know that she loves him by doing all of this stuff for him. Before long, she looks around and she realizes that her sister Mary is not doing this stuff with her. And she begins to get frustrated. Ever been there? Oh, I have, right? Doing all these things and you look around and nobody else is doing it with you. And so she did the natural thing. She went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm serving you. You should tell Mary to come help me. 
And Jesus looks at her and he says, you're missing it. You're missing the boat here. And I'm not going to take away from Mary what she's doing. And as we talked last week, we began to understand that sometimes, sometimes we get just like Martha, where we're doing all of these things of our own accord. We become so busy in our schedules of things that we're doing that we don't become others-minded or leave an option or an opportunity for when God shows up for us to respond. Hmm. I'm going to move on because that one hurts my toes. All right? Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. It's new if, you're, if you've been with us that I think that Jesus tells us about what it means to L-O-V-E, our neighbor, and that is that we need to, that value is a virtue. Value is a virtue. So if you've got to open, look with me at Luke chapter 10, verse 34. It says this. It says, he, that's the Samaritan, went to the man and bound up his wounds. He poured oil on them and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. Jesus is pointing out that the Samaritan valued his neighbor. He valued his neighbor. That man was lying on the side of the road, and this man took the wine and the oil that was meant for himself and used it on this man. He probably wasn't carrying tons of vats of wine with him. He probably had just slightly more than what he needed to make the journey. It was for his own purposes, for his own libation to be able to drink and to enjoy it and to make for a nice trip and not to be dying of thirst and dehydration, but instead he used it on the hurt man. In addition, he gave up his oil. Now we we don't know a whole lot about oil today, all right? We don't really, like, have all of the uses for all of oil that they had in first century. But let me tell you about a few of them. One of them was that it was not just for cooking, right? He would have used it for cooking. It would have made his food taste better. But it was also a form of sunscreen. They would put it on to shelter them from the sun. The ladies would use it as a form of cosmetics. It was a base in all of the cosmetics that they had. It was used to treat wounds. So this man was carrying this for all of these purposes for himself, for his cooking, for sunscreen, for himself. He was carrying it for in case he got a wound of some sort. And not only that, but he was also carrying it because it was like a form of currency that was more difficult for a thief to use because the oil was good in the marketplace. Good olive oil was worth good money. And you could trade it for whatever it is that you needed in the marketplace. But you had to be a somewhat savvy business person in order to do that. And so a thief who steals it on the side of the road is not able to take and to transform it into hard currency. And so it became a way to protect yourself as you were traveling because it gave you something to trade whenever you got to wherever you were going. Now, not only that, but throughout the Bible, oil was considered one of the three basic needs. One of the three basic needs. In fact, food, clothes, and oil. 
Those were the three things that were told about in Deuteronomy. Uh, in fact, Deuteronomy also says that the blessing of God is recognized by if you have these three things. If you have grain, wine, and oil. Now, it was also given for the care of a servant. If you had a servant, you were required to provide for them those three things. Clothes, food, and oil. Not only that, but oil was seen as a symbol. It was seen as a symbol of joy and honor and favor. In fact, check this out. A Jew would not use oil in any of their offerings that were given to God if there was anything sorrowful or repentance that needed to take place inside of the offering. It was only used inside of the offerings when it was a joyous and a celebration that was going on because it was representative of joy and honor and of that favor that had been given. That's why when we see a king in the Bible, they're anointed with oil because it's a sign of God's favor on that person. And so this Samaritan walks up and he shows favor to the man who is injured because he places oil even though, yes, it was to address his wounds, but you need to understand that that still was giving honor and favor to this man. Not only that, but notice that he gave up his seat on his own animal, right? He gives up his own seat for this guy, and Jesus becomes extremely pointed right here, and he, he has this idea that he communicates to us. He says, a good neighbor will exchange our comfort because of others' conditions. You see, an animal was, you didn't have to have an animal to make this trip, right? There are all kinds of people who walked this trip all the time. Having an animal to help you was about comfort, right? It was about expediency of the trip. And so this guy gives up his expediency. He gives up his comfort so that somebody else, because of their condition, could get to where he needed to take them to. He traded places with this guy. Listen, that is valuing somebody. That is giving value to who they are. You know, I don't fly a whole lot, but I fly occasionally. And it seems that any time that I fly, there's always an opportunity, right? There's always an opportunity to be able to give up your seat on the airline. And occasionally, I get incredibly tempted to give up my seat. Because they start offering free vouchers for anybody that will give up their seat, right? But you know what I've yet to do to this point in time? I have never given up my seat on an airplane. Even with somebody who's willing to give me something free, which Aaron, I know, if you got something free, you'd probably be like, hey, two hours later, I'm, I'm fine. You gave me something free. I'm okay with that. They haven't been able to value me enough for me to give up my valuable seat on an airplane. But this guy, this guy gave up his seat. He gave up his seat for somebody he didn't even know. But that's not all. That's not all, because value is not just how we see somebody. 
Value is not just how we treat those around us, although those things are very, very important. Value is also about bringing value to the other person, adding value to who they are. Look with me at verse 35. It says, the next day, the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Not only did the Samaritan see and value the man, but he brought value to the man through his actions. This man had nothing. Everything had been taken from him. He had no value to anybody at that moment. And the Samaritan said, here's his value. He's worth at least two denarii to start off with. And if you go above, above and beyond that, I'll take care of that as well. Here's the new value statement for who this guy is. He's at least worth this much. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no idea how much denarii is worth. <laughs> right? I don't spend denarii every day. I spend dollars, right? So I began to look. I was like, hey, how much is a denarii worth? And a lot of commentaries say a denarii was like a day's wage. And you're like, oh, great. Well, what's that? Because if you go to South America, a day's wage is like, there's places where they're like, I'm happy to just get a dollar. If I get a one American dollar, I'm excited for that as a day's wage. And yet we have places here in America where if we don't get $15 an hour, we're revolting and we're walking out. Right? So how much is a day's wage? So I did a little bit more digging, and the New American Commentary said this. It said a denarii at around, around 100 B.C., so about 100 years before Jesus, was worth about 12 donkeys. Yeah, 12 donkeys. 100 years after Jesus, 100 years A.D., so 200 years later, it was worth almost 20 donkeys. Right? Now, that helps me a little bit, but I was like, how much is a donkey? So I Googled it for you guys, all right? You can get a donkey for as cheap as $100, all right? But some donkeys, the best donkeys, are worth between $2,500 and $3,000 each. So this denarii, this silver coin that this man had was worth somewhere between $2,500 and $10,000 today. Wow. That's a lot of value this guy just all of a sudden had heaped upon him, somebody who had nothing. You know, there are things that we can do that nobody else can do. In fact, we talk about those as our gifts, talents, and abilities, the way that God designed us. This last week, somebody rang my doorbell. It's Christmas time. There are lots of packages coming to my house, and so a doorbell rings and I don't leave. You're probably the same way. But a couple minutes later, the doorbell rang again. I was like, oh, it's somebody who probably needs me to sign a package, for, you know, for something. And so I hustled down the stairs, opened up the door, and standing there was somebody who um, attends our church regularly. And she had baked some bread, some artisan bread, because she had heard that my wife loves bread. She's like, I just want you to know that we love you guys a whole lot, and so I want her to have this bread so that she knows that she's loved. I was like, I'm telling her that I had you do this so I can get all the brownie points on this. <laughs> if you were here last week, you know I needed a lot of brownie points last week. It was bad. So, uh, but she came, she did something that 
I couldn't do for my wife, she did that for her. Something my wife can't do for herself. I love her, but she is not an incredible baker yet. She's working on some things, but maybe we get there. But this lady brought some amazing bread just to say in a neighborly way, I love you and I value you and I want to bring value to your life because of our relationship together. You know, your skill set may not be baking bread, and that's okay. But God has uniquely gifted you. He's given you some talent, some ability to use to bring value to other people's lives. And our job, if we're going to be good neighbors, is to use that, is to use that to bring honor and favor to those that God places us around. It brings me to the final letter. By the way, we like to think of patience as a virtue, right? But valuing is a virtue. It's a high moral standard that is not an easy thing to do, to value others that are around you. Here's our final thought. Not only do we need to learn to lean in, not only do we need to operate with an other's mindset, not only do we have to um, value those that are around us, but here's the last thing. We need to embrace them with prayer. Embrace them with prayer. Now, I'm sure many of you are going to go back. I see Aaron scanning the story right now. Some of you are looking back at that and you're like, wait a second. The Good Samaritan prayed somewhere in this story? I didn't see Maybe you're like me, and you're like, I don't see prayer anywhere inside of this story at all. So Charles, how in the world do you get that Jesus says that we should be praying for our neighbors? Well, last week I told you a distinctive about Luke. I'm going to remind you about it. Here's one of the distinctives about Luke is that it was designed to be read in a public setting, just like we're in right now. It was designed for us to hear. In fact, one commentator said that the book of Luke is like the first century Christian romance novel. Part one, part two. I was like, what? Yeah, it's supposed to be read out loud. It's supposed to captivate. There's like sections of it that you're supposed to like see all together. And this section of it, this section of it starts in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Right? It doesn't start at chapter, the beginning of chapter 10. It starts right in the middle of everything. And it tells us that Jesus, right, is praying. He's praying. And what we find out is, is that Luke has this major emphasis throughout his entire book on prayer. In fact, he has Jesus praying more times than any other book of the New Testament. Seven times, to be exact, he records that Jesus gets away to go pray. Then three, there are three parables in the book of Luke about prayer. And if that's not big enough, there are seven more times where Jesus tells us, his disciples, that we should pray. So Luke has this major, major emphasis on prayer. And so he begins this whole section with prayer. And what we find is in chapter 11, he ends it with prayer. In fact, the first part of chapter 11 is what many people would see and read and call the Lord's Prayer. And somebody asked him, Jesus, how do I begin to pray? And so he gives them this prayer. 
And then I love this. Immediately after that, he gives one of those parables that I was talking about. One of the three that we find about instruction. And I want to read it together. And Jesus said this to him. It starts in verse 5 of chapter 11. He said, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, please lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I don't have anything to set out before him. And he will answer from within. This is the other guy who was asleep. This is me, by the way. I'm always asleep like this at midnight. He says, don't bother me. Look, my kids know the game Don't Wake Daddy is a real game in our house, all right? He says, don't bother me. My door is already shut. My children are in bed. He said, I cannot get up and give you anything. He said, I tell you this, though. He said, he will not get up and give him anything because this is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, or this version said impudence, right? He will rise and give him whatever he needs. He said, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. It goes one step further, and he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Yeah, I don't think any around here are giving anybody a scorpion. He said, If you then, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, when we read that, right, if we didn't know that the Lord's Prayer was right before this, this sure seems like a passage about how to be a great neighbor. He has a friend that comes to visit him, and he relentlessly knocks on his neighbor's door in order to take care of his friend, to meet the needs of this friend. Sure, it seems like an extension of an extension of what we've been talking about about who is and what is and how to be a good neighbor how to value somebody else how to love them a good neighbor exchanges his own comfort this guy wasn't worried about the humility that he or the the the, the humiliation that he would suffer because he's out at midnight saying I illy prepared for my friend he wasn't worried about that. He was more concerned about his friend's need, his neighbor's need that has come to him, than he was about anything else. He exchanged his own comfort for his other's condition. I think Luke, and by extension Jesus, is making the point that if we love our neighbors, then we are praying for them. If we love our neighbors, we are praying for them. Now, if we were honest with you, I'm great at neighboring in this room. Every week, I invite you to, to share your prayer requests with me because I want to love you in that way of praying for you because I think it's incredibly important. But you know what I'm terrible at is I don't ask the same question of my neighbors, of the other people that I come into contact with. I don't ask them, how can I be praying for you? What's going on in your world that I can be taking to the God who's in control of everything on your behalf? How many of you could say I asked that of my coworkers? Right? God has intentionally placed us where we're at. 
And even the times when I encounter somebody and I ask them that question, they say, oh, I'm really good. You know what's great is I can say to them, can I give thanks to God for the fact that everything is good in your life right now? And most of the time, very rarely have I ever had somebody who said, you know, now that you mention it, if you're going to pray for me anyways, here's what I have going on. I ran across this incredible quote from Bill Heyer, who's doing some future research for our series in January. Um, but he, he said this. He said, a general principle of God's way is that while he can anything he intends to do, he can do anything that he intends to do, he has chosen to work in answer to prayer. God opens doors when we pray for doors to open. Let me read that one more time. A general principle of God's ways is that while he can do anything he intends to do, he has chosen to work in answer to prayer. God opens doors when we pray for doors to open. Jesus was telling us in this parable the same thing, right? He says, whoever asks, what is he saying that they should be asking for? The whole parable is about asking for his neighbor, his friend that came. He wasn't saying ask on your own behalf. He said, whoever asks on behalf of their neighbor, I'm going to open up the heavens and pour it out on you. Do we want that for our neighbors? Do we want that for our friends, for our coworkers? Do we want to see God work in their lives in such a way that the question becomes, why aren't we praying for them? Because that's loving them. This whole section, it begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. And I don't think that that is by happenstance, now by chance, that that took place. I think Luke was emphasizing very, very precisely for us that we need to embrace our neighbors with prayer. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he even sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anybody else? The Gentiles even. Jesus says, he says, I, I know that you've heard these teachings in your churches and in your, your temples. See, he, he doesn't do a direct quote here about what's going on. He says, I'm going to tell you about a principle that you hear about all the time. You should, you know, love your, your neighbors, but hate your enemies. And Jesus says, but I, I'm not quoting the law to you, and I want you to understand this. He says, that teaching is wrong. And when we think about our neighbors, sometimes we go, but... 
You don't even know who my neighbor is, Charles. That person that lives on that corner over there, I'm pretty sure their kids are close to the spawn of Satan. And you know what Jesus said? Pray for them. Pray for them. Because that's loving them in an incredible way. Pray for them. Look, I'm going to take just a, a quick side detour as we finish up today. But I, I love that parable about persistence for just a second. I love it because it teaches part of what we believe as a church and what a church does. Most weeks when I get up here doing the welcome, I'll tell you that I, we believe that our church exists to lead people to be the church. Right? The church is not a building. It's not four walls. It's a good thing. Right? We don't have a building here. All right, But it's about people who are living out the mission and the message of Jesus Christ together. And we think that the church does three things. We think that they gather together. We think that they grow together. And finally, we think that they go together. Now, when we talk about this idea of going, right? people are like, what do you mean they go together? Like they're like, like you know, birds of a feather flock together sort of a thing? No, here's what I mean. I mean this. That they intentionally pick up people to pursue, right? They pray for those people, and then they begin to passionately pursue them. If you've been in our community groups, then you've probably heard us talk about this before, because in our community groups, we want you to be missional-minded. We want us to be missional communities. We want us to be on mission and in mission. One of the things we've learned about Australia as we've been up here, and I'm sure most of you have seen this too, is that everybody lives in isolated little bubbles. Now that doesn't mean that they don't know other people up here. They do. They know groups of people. Because there are people that are soccer people that are here. Soccer moms. Right? There are a group of people that are soccer moms. And soccer moms know other soccer moms. And they talk to other soccer moms. But they don't know football moms. They've never met them because they're a soccer mom. And there are groups of people up here that are Bunko players. I don't know them. I don't play Bunko. But I know that there's a Bunko group, right? And so there are people that are, exist all over the place. And so we want for our groups to say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick a people that live here in Australia. We're going to pick a people group. And we're going to begin to pray for that people group, whoever it is that they are. And then we're going to begin to passionately pursue that group. Now we do a lot for the West Star teachers that are meet right here. In fact, this week we had a team from Oklahoma that's here, so you may see some people be like, I don't recognize your faces, I've been around for a while. Introduce yourself to them. They may, they may be a first time guest, but they may be here from Oklahoma. They're here visiting me, having a good time. And they came on Friday to the school. And on Friday, we had a hot cocoa cart and a coffee holiday spice blend cart and some wonderful pastries that were on there and went around to all the teachers and just said, hey, we just want you to know that we love you. And it was fun to have the conversation with teachers because the teachers were like, hey, aren't you guys the ones that just like six or seven weeks ago washed all of our cars? Yeah, that was us. 
Hey, aren't you guys the ones that like at the beginning of the year, like repainted the maps out here and decked out all of our bathrooms so that they look all nice and pretty? Yeah, we're the ones that did that. Aren't you the ones that, and you know what we're beginning to find? Is that when we passionately pursue people, that doesn't mean just doing something for them one time. When we do something for somebody one time, they go, oh, that was nice. When you do it for them twice, they're like, oh, I mean, I, I, guess it's a, I guess it's a neat thing they've done something for us. But when you do something for them 50 times, you know what they begin to say? Those people must really, really like us. They're crazy about us. They're for us. And that's what it means to passionately pursue people. Let me tell you what begins to happen when you passionately pursue people like this. Two years ago, we were meeting in my house two years ago. And I, we had a, a small group. There were about eight or nine of us that were meeting at that time. It's crazy to look around the room, right? Two years ago, there were eight or nine of us. A year ago, there were 45 of us. And now there's over 100 of us. That's awesome. But two years ago, we were sitting in my living room, and one of the people that was sitting in the room, she was like, I'm incredibly burdened about my workplace. She's like, they don't know Jesus there. She said, I'm not really sure how to take Jesus to them all by myself. And I said, you're not supposed to. She said, wait, what do you mean? I said, you're not supposed to do it by yourself. And by the way, if you question that, just back up a little bit and look, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus sent them out in pairs. They didn't go alone. Sometimes we get confused about that. We're like, well, Jesus, God sent me here in my workplace. He did so that you can neighbor. And we don't neighbor just to tell people about Jesus. We neighbor because that's loving them. And God called us to love them regardless of how they respond to him. Because that's how he loves us. It doesn't matter how we respond to him. And she said, I, I'm, I'm incredibly concerned about it. So this group of eight or nine of us began to just lean in. We said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come around this, the, the place where you work, and we're going to begin to just love them in an incredible way. We went over and washed toys for them. We took them treats. We did all kinds of things. And almost a year later, three people, three people directly from that came to know Christ for the very first time when we baptized them on Easter Sunday in here. Yeah, that's what happens when you begin to passionately pursue your neighbors. When you pick a people group and you pray for them and you begin to just lavish them with the same kind of love that God's given us, they go, that's different. That's revolutionary. I want some of what you guys have because that is not what I've ever seen anywhere else. That is not what I've heard about church before. This is not a bunch of rules and regulations. You guys really want relationship with me and you love me. And what I found out is because of your Jesus that you did that. I want to know the same Jesus that you know. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Let me tell you a second story. I generally don't tell stories about myself where I do things well, mostly because I don't do things well very often. <laughs> but over the last couple of years, my family has indulged me in my love of soccer. I love soccer. I played growing up. I didn't play in high school because I chose track and field over soccer, but I still love the sport. And so my family convinced my oldest daughter that she could play. She can't. But so we, we let her get out there and kick a ball around. And they, we did it so that I could coach. That was really the whole reason that my family indulges me with it. But I was like, you know what? I want to do this to passionately pursue people who are soccer people. So I began to build some relationships, and I built a relationship with an amazing family that I love dearly. Now I want you to know that the reason that we build relationships is not for the gospel. 
all right? Now you're hearing that and you're probably going, whoa, wait a second, I thought that's where we do everything. Listen, listen, we love because God commanded us to love, right? It has nothing to do with their response. We do it because that's what he's commanded us to do because that's how he loves us. And so I began to love on some of those, and I had some people that I leaned into their lives because they have just become some incredible friends. And a few weeks after we started here, um, they began to come. And first part of this fall, their oldest daughter said, hey, I've said yes to Jesus, and we got a chance to baptize her. And it was amazing and super exciting. And today, we're going to baptize their second daughter right? Because she said yes to Jesus. And I'm so excited that I've got to be a part of this family's life because God let them be a part of my life. And I leaned in when he said to lean in and we're getting to see amazing changes go on in their family because of what God is doing. And we're going to celebrate baptism with them today. I love it. I love watching lives get changed. And it happens when we L-O-V-E our neighbors, when we begin to lean in, when we begin to become others-minded about them, when we value them over our own selves, and when we embrace them with prayer. Because that changes our own hearts too. And that's what it's all about. Listen. I tell you all of this to tell you that if we become a church, if we become a church that leans in when God asks us of us, when we operate with an other's mindset, when we value those that are around us and when we embrace them with prayer, it will radically change our community. So the biggest question I have for you today is, will you join into that? Will you buy into that with me? watch and to see your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers, and see their lives change in the same kind of way that you do. Here, I'm going to take it one step further. If that's you and you say, you know what? Yeah, I want to be a part of that. On your response card where it says prayer request, will you just write the word join down for me? We're going to have a membership class because we value what our membership looks like. And I want to talk about what it means to be a member, but you're hearing a bunch of it today. A bunch of what we say, hey, a group of Jesus followers that are meeting right here together. Here's how we're going to do that together. But if you're like, yeah, I'm in on what you're talking about, Charles, I want you to just write the word join on there. And we'll invite you. We'll give you information about what that membership class looks like and when it's going to be. Because... God's calling us here to not only change here, but to change the world. Let's pray. God, you are so big. You are doing something amazing in our midst. God, I don't take any credit for it on my own because I acknowledge that it is totally you. God, I am so blessed to be able to be a part of what it is that you're doing. God, I thank you for the incredible people that you're bringing alongside. People that have the same kind of heart of sharing how much it is that you love us with others. God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in our second year. 
with all the things that you've done in this first year, I can just hardly even wait for what that's going to be. God, I just give you all of the glory and the honor in your name.